This episode is brought to you by our great sponsors. Have you ever struggled to find the time to promote all of your amazing content on social networks? Are you tired of logging into several different places and platforms to complete all of your digital marketing needs? Don't worry anymore. Social Web Suite has got your back. Social Web Suite, the social sharing platform built for professionals by Hype Studio, will take care of all of your social media marketing needs. So all you need to do is relax and concentrate on growing your business. Start your free trial today and see what all the buzz is about. Head over to buildpodcast.net slash hype for more information. That's buildpodcast.net slash H-Y-P-E. And when you are ready to make the purchase, make sure to use the discount code BUILDSOMETHING and save yourself some money. Project Panorama is a WordPress project management plugin that visually communicates project progress to your clients and team. At a glance, your clients can see exactly how close the project is to completion, what has been done, and what will be done next. Panorama is meticulously designed to impress your clients and save you time, allowing you to bill more. Check it out at buildpodcast.net slash PM. And for a limited time, you can use the offer code HOWIBUILTIT for 20% off. That's how I built it, all one word, for 20% off. And now, on with the show. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of How I Built It, the podcast that asks, how did you build that? Today, my guest is Pippin Williamson. Pippin, how are you today? I'm doing just fine. Very nice, thank you for joining me. I really appreciate you taking the time to come uh, on the show. It's my pleasure. Awesome. Uh, so, today, you have uh, a bunch of properties bunch of different things that you do, but today we're going to be talking about Restrict Content Pro. Is that right? That's correct. Cool. So why don't we start off with um, kind of who you are, what you do, and, and then the idea behind RCP. Sure. Um, so my name is Pippin, and I am a plugin developer. I live in Hutchinson, Kansas, and I've been building WordPress plugins for, oh, I don't know, eight, nine years now. Um, I started as a Started building commercial plugins around eight years ago, and then eventually turned that into my full-time job, and then slowly built a company around it. So now I run a company called Sand Hills Development. We are a team of about 15 people, uh, and we build a, a slew of different products, primarily focused in e-commerce and membership. So our three main ones would be Easy Digital Downloads, which is an e-commerce plugin, Affiliate WP for affiliate marketing, and then Restrict Content Pro, which is a membership plugin. Gotcha. And uh, so where did the name, I'm sure you've been asked this before, but where did the name uh, Sandhills come from? Sandhills is uh, an area that I grew up in when I was a kid. My parents lived in a place called the Sandhills in Kansas, which uh, is very aptly named because there's a lot of sand in the hills. (laughs) Uh, And it was just kind of a a way for me to uh, give credit to where I grew up and where I feel at home. So that's where Sandhills comes from. Nice, nice. I I am resisting the urge to make a. Uh, oh my gosh, I'm totally blanking on the movie right now. There's no place like home. I was like really trying not to say that. Oh, uh, Wizard the of Wizard Oz. of Oz, man! I can't believe <laughs> that. That was actually the first play. I I did drama club, and that was the first play I was ever in. I was. Oh, a, I think it was the first or second for me as well. Nice, cool, very cool. So. Uh, so you work on a lot of stuff. You are, I don't know if, if you would label yourself this, but I think a lot of people view you as one of the more, maybe most uh, successful plugin developers out there, like commercial WordPress plugin developers. So it's it'll be really great to get some of your insight. And uh, specifically with Restrict Content Pro, 
from what I understand, this was was this your actually actually your first commercial plugin or your second? It wasn't the first, but it was one of the first bigger ones. Okay, uh, I had probably a series of five to ten plugins before Restricted Content Pro that were all reasonably small. There was two that were a little bit bigger, but Restricted Content Pro is the first one that definitely kind of took off and kind of made me realize, you know, I think this is something that I could focus on full time. And it was something that it was the first one that became much bigger than anything else. It was the first one that I brought someone else on to work with me on to help with customer support, development, et cetera. But it was not technically the first one. No. Gotcha. Gotcha. And, and what was the, uh, what was the idea behind that? Well, it was pretty simple. Honestly, I was running my own personal website called pippinsplugins.com where I was uh, writing development tutorials on WordPress and plugins in general. I was trying to create this site that was kind of a, a resource for other people that wanted to learn how to write plugins because at the time there wasn't really any other resources. And I wanted to run a membership portion of it. And I wasn't thrilled with the current options available. Um, some because they just were a little lackluster, some because I didn't know about them. There was probably five or six membership plugins at the time. And so I just decided, you know, I think I can build this. I'll, I'll just build it for myself and and use it for my own site. And then through doing that, I'll build it as a generic plugin that I can release and other people can use. Nice. So that was really all it was. It was trying to build a, a basic membership site for myself um, and bu- building the tool to make that possible. Gotcha. And and I think this is maybe the case with at least your your three biggest plugins, right? You're, you were scratching your own itch. Mm-hmm. So... Cool. That, Absolutely. That seems to be a common thread with the guests I have on, on the show. They're always, uh, a lot of them are developers and they're like, well, I want this and it doesn't exist. And so that's really cool. So I would love to talk a lot about the, I mean, you're successful in both business and development. So I, I want to make sure that we touch on both of those, those topics. Uh, so I think maybe we already touched on the answer to this question, but when you were, when you were doing your research or did you do any research? Uh, while you were developing Restrict Content Pro? In terms of like product research, market research, no. Well, I, I guess I could say a little bit. So I had I had my own experience through building my own membership site. I was also working as the developer for another site that was building a membership system. And so my my market research was purely that I have two two sites, one that I am the developer as like a client relationship and one that is my own. And neither one of us are happy with the current options that are out there. And so that told me there was a need. That was the, the ex- absolute extent of my market <laughs> research. Um, beyond that, there was just the developer research of, well, I don't know how to do this. So I'm going to try to figure it out. I'm going to research, I'm going to find tutorials, etc. I'm going to break things way too often until I figure out how to make it work. Cool. Got, gotcha. And so now uh, you've over the last, you know, few months, maybe I, uh, you know, you've kind of doubled down on the plugin. Are, what's what's kind of your research process now for adding features or, or choosing what to keep and, and what to kind of let go by the wayside? So Research Content Pro started, uh, it's now almost six years old. It'll be six in January, uh, up, coming up here in about a month. And since it's a, six years is a pretty old product when it comes to an online, to a, I don't know, an internet product. Definitely not near the oldest, but it's, uh, that's, I don't know what, close to half the life of WordPress. Yeah. So it's it has a history, which also means that we've kind of compiled this list of feature requests and bugs and issues that people have over a long period of time. For the last two years or so, Restrict Content Pro got kind of neglected, mostly as my other projects, Easy Digital Downloads and Affiliate WP, took off and kind of dominated my time and the team of 
the time with my team. So we basically, we had this product where we had lots and lots of feature requests and issues reported and wants and desires from customers, but they were kind of getting, they weren't necessarily getting ignored. We just didn't have the time to focus on mm-hmm. them because it was such a smaller project. So we had this big list and that was our research. That was basically, that was our information that said, okay, when we're ready to double down on this and keep and bring it back to life, here's what we need to do. Here's the features we need to add. Here's the issues we need to solve. Here's the challenges people have. And so it didn't really take any further research beyond that. We already had all of it, the information collected. Gotcha. Cool. And and as far as uh, getting input from people, you know, uh, I know that mastermind groups are a big thing. Do you... Do you talk to uh, your peers and your customers? Like, who are who are kind of the people that you go to for for advice? Both peers and customers, and sometimes peers and customers are the same people. Mm-hmm. We try to listen to what people what people tell us. Some people are really good about giving feedback. Some people are are not as good about it. But we still try to listen to everybody and and genuinely be receptive to what they need to do, what they want to do. And then take that all with a grain of salt because just because somebody wants to do something doesn't mean that we should make it possible for them to do that. Mm-hmm. But we still try to listen to it and figure out, okay, where is, what do we need to do in our product that allow, that benefits the most people and that also benefits us at the same time. And it's sometimes it's a challenge to figure out what you need to work on or what you should work on. But overall, just trying to be receptive and then also being Number one, being open to feedback, but also to seek actually seeking feedback. And so we will go to customers, we will go to peers and say, what do you need? What do you want? What is what are the pain points that you have? Gotcha. And do you find it's hard to get to get that kind of feedback? I know that there's been discussions about how do we get more people to rate plugins in the plugin repository and things like that. You know, I I have a hard time I have to always ask people to rate this podcast on iTunes. So do you find that asking helps or do you need to find the right people to ask? Uh, I think it, it depends a lot on the person, mm-hmm. the person that you're asking. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's not. Uh, sometimes it's hard to get people to stop giving you feedback. <laughs> I don't think private feedback is hard to get. Okay. I think public feedback is hard to get. Public quality feedback. The thing is that like, when it comes to leaving a review publicly or publicly giving feedback on something, you tend to get two kinds of people. You get the people that are really, really thrilled and they just want to sing your praises. And then you get the people that are really, really upset or angry. And neither one of those are really super valuable Mm -hmm. for getting really genuine feedback because there tends to be either just a lot of fluff or a lot of just anger or emotion in it. Right. But so getting a, getting a leveled response with a lot of, of insightful information can be tricky. But I think it's a lot easier to get that privately than publicly because a lot of people just are not necessarily comfortable giving their opinions uh, in a public place. Gotcha. That that makes a lot of sense, and that's that's some great thoughts right there. Uh, I know that you know usually people will. You're exactly right. If they're angry, they're they're ready to like slam whoever on Twitter and and in the reviews and stuff like that. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you know, my wife will always ask. She'll try something on and say, "Like, does this look good?" And uh, you know, I I say yes, and I'm not you being say dis- yes. yeah, I'm not being disingenuous. I just I you know I think she looks good, so right. She has to definitely ask somebody else those questions. So cool, very cool. And then uh, as far as you know, peers or are you like are you part of a mastermind group or anything like that? I am. Uh, I have a couple of groups that I participate in. 
and we get together, try to every couple of weeks and, and chat and we'll, we'll share plenty things that we're working on or projects that we have or, or results of projects that we've mm-hmm. done. Uh, and that, that is very, very valuable. Cool. Yeah. I, 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 I've said that so much on the show that I think it's, uh, you know, I'm part of one and the feedback that I get from, from the people in my group is, is great. So with that, we're kind of onto the, um, onto the title question, which is, uh, how did you build restrict content pro? Uh, and we can go like super technical. We could talk about the business side. I'd get to get an, I'd love to get a nice mix of both. Sure. Technically, basically I, I looked at it and I had this need that I wanted. I wanted to allow people to pay for a membership, be charged monthly, quarterly, or yearly. And then I wanted to give access to, I wanted to give access to tutorials to those people. Basically, I figured out how to talk to PayPal, how to send information to PayPal when somebody is trying to buy something. And I figured out how to detect when PayPal processes a subscription payment. And then basically keep a communication line open between the website and PayPal. And then also did the same thing with Stripe. Stripe being one of the main processors, processors for credit cards. So that was really just diving into their into their developer APIs and figuring out how to utilize those and then figuring out how to say like store information about what kind of membership level or access level customers have inside of the WordPress database. And that was that's really on a, on a kind of an overview level that is restricted content pro like that is you are giving a way for customers to register an account and then you are keeping track of their payments and you're keeping track of their membership status. Uh, and then you are hiding or showing content accordingly. That's kind of where it started simply. It was, it's just managing that. Then as the product was, after the product was released and people started to use it, we started to add a whole lot of other features as well. For example, like the ability to have multiple subscription levels or set the prices, create discount codes, the really kind of like fine-tuned controls on what content gets restricted to what members. So for example, if you have a gold subscription level, they get access to this content, this content, this Mm -hmm. content. You have a silver level and a bronze level and a platinum level. Uh, They can each have different kinds of durations. So one of them is a monthly subscription. One is a yearly subscription. One gets access to content A, B, and C. One gets B and C. One gets A, B, C, D, and, and D. You start getting into those kinds of features and you just, you just start building them one at a time. Early on, I don't think there was any kind of overview or generalized idea of what the product would eventually be like. We didn't have this list of features that's okay, we need discounts, we need this kind of content restriction settings, we need to do category level restrictions, we need to reload restrict comments, we need people to upgrade and downgrade between subscriptions, mm-hmm. we need people to cancel subscriptions, we need to prorate subscriptions. We need... None of that was there early on. I mean, those are all features that now do exist inside of the plugin. But they, they come from feedback. We talked about feedback earlier and getting that um, kind of information and feedback from, from customers and users, and you add them one piece at a time. So if you look at like the feature set of Restrict Content Pro, that's not even remotely what it started with. Uh, and I think that's something that people tend to get a little too caught up on when they're building a product is they, they have this idea in their mind that says, okay, we need this, we need this, we need all of these features, and it's not released until those features all exist. And I think that's the way that products die is trying to go after that like perfect model initially. I mean, if we look at like version 1.0 over content pro, it was so damn simple. 
there, it wasn't even remotely the same it is, as it is now, but it was, it made it a viable product. And then you slowly add a piece and you add a piece and you add a piece. Yeah. That I, so it's, it seems like I was, you know, that I'm glad that you went there. I was just about to say, you seem like, like the king of the minimum viable product. I think like you, uh, you kind of say, this is, these are the things that I need to have. Uh, cause you're absolutely right. It's, I'm working on a podcast plugin right now and I'm like, I can do this, this, and this, and this. And, and I should really focus on like, these are the three things that'll make it different from what's already out there. Right. And then the rest is kind of just get it to market first. Right. So cool. As far as kind of your development process goes, uh, I'd love to hear uh, two things, how you go about learning uh, because you, you do put out these really high quality products. You uh, do you still review for the, the plugin repo? I try to, okay. I don't do nearly as much as I, as I would like to, but every, I do try to jump in at least once every week or so and, and get a bunch of reviews done. Gotcha. Mika is the machine there. Gotcha. She, she does most of them. Gotcha. Uh, so, so I would still love to hear like how you learn and then what, what tools do you use? Like what's your development environment? So I don't, I don't know if I'm abnormal in, in this way, but I, I try to keep my development environment as simple as possible. I used to work on well over the last 15 even 20 years as i've been involved with internet stuff i've always worked on about every os out there so i've worked i've had an os x machine i've had a windows machine i've had a linux machine i've had android tablets i ios tablets i i work across a lot of a lot of different machines and, and always have now today i work almost exclusively on apple but i still use a linux box i still use a Windows machine every now and then. And the reason I say that is because something that's always been important to me in my day-to-day work, whether we're talking email or development or, or anything else, is that I want my systems to work no matter what, what platform I'm, I'm working on. I also have a kind of a general rule that says, if my laptop falls in a lake today, I want to be <laughs> up and running in two hours. So if I walk into a store and I buy a new laptop, whether it's a, whether it's a MacBook, a Windows, or anything else, doesn't matter what brand it is. I want to be up and running in two hours or less. So with that, I keep everything incredibly simple. I don't use a lot of advanced tools. I don't use really powerful IDEs or anything. I use Sublime Text 2 and I use Git. And if I have those two pieces, those two tools, I can do everything I need to do. Every now and then, yeah, we, we use more advanced tools that help us do various things, anything from, from unit testing to dependency management, but they're nice to have. So they're not requirements. And so I've always done that. And, and sometimes it, it means that we work, I work a little bit slower. Sometimes it means that I work faster. Sometimes it means that I'm doing more manual debugging instead of relying on a tool. But it also means that my requirements to work are much, much more minimal. Uh, and, and that's always been pretty important to me. What was the other part of your question? How do you learn new things? How do you learn? Yeah. I dive in head first and say, okay, this is what I need to do. Let's figure out how to make it happen. Right. It's kind of a, it's kind of a bird's eye view of it, but that's really that's really it. So, to bring it back to Restrict Content Pro for a moment, one of the important parts of making that plugin work was the communication to PayPal and to Stripe. So, for example, if I register, if I create a subscription uh, on my website and then I send that information to PayPal, PayPal and or Stripe are then going to handle rebuilding that subscription. So a month later or a year later, they're going to process a charge and they're going to send a notification to the website that says, Hey, we process a charge. Here's the details. Do what you need with it. So I, at the time I had no idea 
how to handle that kind of data from PayPal or Stripe. And I, we'd call that a, a webhook or an instant payment notification. I had no idea how to do it. None whatsoever. I knew that that was the system I had to use. Mm-hmm. And so I said, okay, let's figure it out. So Google is my best friend. I'm going to figure out how to do it. I'm going to make something that works an MVP and I'm going to release it. And then we, and then we improve from there. And I, I think I treat most of my development that way. Nice. We, we have a need, we know what we need to do and we know what needs to happen. I may not know how, I may not know the exact syntax for it. I may not know the exact methods of working with the API, but as long as I have a goal in sight of what I need to do, I can figure out how to make it happen. Nice. Nice. I always, I'm really good with Vardom. Nice. I always think about like what it was like programming before the internet became a great resource. Like I imagine it's just piles of textbooks like on your desk, right? That's, I mean, I don't know. That's how most of my com- computer science professors' desks looks. And I, mm-hmm. I assume that's why. I'm sure. <laughs> so, uh, which is quick, like uh like real quick question, which, which is better documented PayPal or Stripe? Oh, Stripe. <laughs> I kind of knew the answer to that one, but I wanted to get confirmation. So to, to give PayPal a little bit of credit, mm-hmm. they've been around for a very long time mm-hmm. and documentation is very difficult to update. Uh, I mean, documentation is a full-time job for any reasonably sized product. Mm-hmm. And their doc, their developer documentation, it has always been notoriously poor or inaccurate or conflicting or whatever. But in the last year, it has improved substantially. I mean, it is dramatically better than it used to be. But my one of my favorite air quotes <laughs> example of PayPal documentation is that when you go research error codes, so like let's say that I do something with the API and I get an error message back and it says profile ID invalid. Okay, so now what you would expect to do with documentation is to research that error message and get an explanation. Why is it invalid? Explanation for why profile ID is invalid? Profile ID is invalid. It's like <laughs> the, the silliest explanation ever because there's no explanation. Perfect. That is unfortunately the nature of PayPal documentation. Stripe is the complete opposite of that. It's it has yeah. It's it as a developer working with Stripe is is a pleasure. And everything from the actual code base itself to how well things work to the documentation to the event logging to everything. It's just glorious. Awesome. That's that's good to know. I've never I've never. I haven't used uh, Stripe like in, in a coding sense. I've integrated it with other products, but I mean, now everything has a Stripe plugin, and I assume because it's so easy to work with. So, yeah, cool. Uh, so, uh, bringing it back to Restrict Content Pro, what are your plans for the future of this product? You know, uh, what what are the the big things coming down the pike? Well, as mentioned a little bit earlier, Restrict Content Pro kind of got neglected for a while, and we, as a team, decided, okay, let's rebuild it. Uh, we were going, we, we basically came to a point where we had to either sell it, let it die slowly, or rebuild ourselves. And we decided to rebuild it. And I don't mean rebuild a plugin from scratch. I just mean bring it back to life, right. give it new energy, maintain it actively, actively work on it, et cetera. So the first thing that we did, and this started in about March or April, is that we put a full-time team member working on it exclusively, doing support, development, uh, documentation, et cetera. Uh, that was the first step. The next step was to get out a whole bunch of new updates for it, as well as some add- new add-ons that add additional features to it. And some of those would include things like full REST API, group or umbrella accounts, and then things like an integration with Help Scout. Uh, we have a plan for an integration with Zapier and a whole bunch of other add-ons. 
For the next few months, we have several things in, uh, in motion. First is we are working on a new version for version 2.7, uh, which is just making a whole lot of improvements to the core plugin, hopefully making some improvements to emails, to discount codes, to some other, some other core features that have been around for a long time, but have been somewhat neglected or just need some improvements to them. And then we've got a few more add-ons that we want to build. But I think we're we're not we're not remotely done with the project. But we I think we've done six, six months of the heavy leg work that kind of was required to bring Restrict Content Pro back to life and to elevate it back up to a full scale product. And I think we're mostly done with that. And so now it's just going to be that continual work on it, that maintenance, the new the, introducing those new features, taking care of the existing customers, and building that continually building that customer base. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, cool. So before I, I wrap up with the uh, the last question, right? The um, that I always ask. I went to your WordCamp US talk and answered a lot of really good questions there. And one was the, but one was how you felt the pricing model for EDD specifically wasn't great, right? And I know that you got you yeah. got, I think at least one person like pushed back on that and asked like why. So as you kind of reevaluate things for Restrict Content Pro. Do you mind talking about like how you plan on pricing that, what you think works and what doesn't work and, and stuff like that? Sure. So one of the first things that we did when we decided that we were going to rebuild this product uh, is that we changed the pricing model from what it was. So it used to be sold uh, just as a, well, it was, it was sold pretty similar to the way it is now, but we basically had a single site version, a multi-site version and an unlimited site version. And then we had a couple of add-ons that we sold uh, as a la carte purchases. That worked okay, but we changed it when we re rebuilt it so that now there is a single site version, there is a, a multiple site version, there's an unlimited site version, and then there's an, an unlimited site version with unlimited updates and support for life. So it's an ultimate version. The two high versions, which we call ultimate and professional, have an added bonus that if you buy those, you also get immediate access to all of our pro add-ons. So we have these various add-ons, including group accounts, REST API, Help Scout integration, and about 10 or 15 others that are all these, these additional features, but they're only available if you buy the professional or the ultimate version. Gotcha. So that's the pricing model that we use for Affiliate WP when we launched it a little over two years ago, and it works really, really well. There, there's a couple of benefits to it. Number one, from a, from a business perspective, it changes, it, it dramatically increases the number of customers that are, instead of, it dramatically increases the, the average value of a customer. Okay. Because if you if your only distinction between licensing levels is the number of sites that you can activate it on or something like that, the vast majority of your customers will be the most, the most basic level license, right. your low level right. license. If you dramatically incentivize the higher level licenses, then you will get a lot more customers that opt into that. And so we get a lot of customers that are at the $200 level as opposed to the $50 level. And it's because of the, the incentivization of those pro add-ons. And that works really, really well. Yeah, nice. The EDD model is a little different where we just say you, we have a free plugin and then all of these extra features are $50 for this one, it's $50 for that one, it's $20 for that one, and it's kind of a la carte purchasing. And there's there's some various issues with that. But uh, yeah, oh, so with Restricted Content Pro, we adopted the same model that Affiliate WP uses, and that I'll, can, 
pretty much guarantee you is largely responsible for more than doubling our revenue in the last six months. Wow. That's, that's pretty awesome. And, um, I mean, it's, you know, what you said is, uh, pretty clear from your pricing model, right? I mean, if you're going to be using it on a bunch of different sites, you know, like me as a developer, if I'm like, I'm going to pump out membership sites, I'm going to go with the ultimate, right? Because it's, it pays for itself in like two and a half years or two and a quarter years or something like that. So, or less if you're building multiple sites. Yeah, I mean, right. I mean, honestly, it doesn't take very many sites before that pays for itself. Right. And I could see like with EDD, you know, somebody buys the $20 add-on and then if they require a bunch of support, you know, you're almost, you're almost losing money on that. So. That makes perfect sense. I'm going to remember that for when I eventually release this podcast plugin or some other thing. I'm like nice. dying to get into the product space, just like as a small side. It's a, it's a fun world to be. Yeah, there's challenges to it, but it's overall pretty fun. Yeah, and it's I mean it's so different from my day job uh, that you know I think I'd have it would be an interesting way to flex my brain. So certainly cool. So uh, we are banging up against the uh, the time here. So I want to ask you the last question, which is, uh, okay, do you have any trade secrets for us? Trade secrets. Mm. Work hard, work your ass off, <laughs> but don't be afraid to take a break. I think is kind of the thing that I've been about recently. I, I spent a long time, first few years, just working harder than I can imagine. 18 hour days, 20 hour days, uh, I mean, started all of this with a, I had a, a part-time job as well as full, full-time class schedule in university at the time when I was first building all of these. And so I was pretty used to working really late at night, working early, super early in the morning, working between classes, anywhere I could fit in 30 minutes of working on it. And then I kind of, I just kind of got myself into that habit and continued doing that. And eventually I just completely burned out and I, I couldn't do it anymore. And so I've, since then, I've started to take much better care of myself, um, both physically and mentally. And so I, I, work very, I work very hard, but I try to take breaks. So whether it's taking a break in the evening or walking away in the, during the weekends, you got to revitalize yourself. And uh, I think that's really important for building anything successfully in the long term. So, yeah. Don't be afraid to take a break. Nice. That's that's great advice. Uh, and I this is built also building off something you said at WordCamp US, which was uh, kind of find a hobby that's not that doesn't put you in front of a computer screen, right? So yeah. Why don't we close the show with what your hobby away from the computer is? <laughs> sure. I have two. One of them is is cycling. Uh, I really like to ride my bike. Uh, I don't do it as much of a hobby now as I used to because I I bike about seven miles a day to my office and back. Mm. Where I used to work from my home and now I work from an out of home office. But my other one is making beer. So I really, really, really like beer. Uh, I really like the science and the chemistry behind it. I like the process. Uh, and so I have a small brewery in my basement. And so I make a lot of beer. I, I share with friends. I share with family. If you are somebody that enjoys a beer, beware. Because if we sit down for dinner, I'll uh, forget talking about work. I like to talk about beer instead. <laughs> So be prepared. That's awesome. That's uh, the same exact reason I like cigars. And the only thing that beer has up on cigars, I think, is I can't start rolling cigars in my basement. And again, I need like a farm and like all this equipment <laughs> to grow tobacco and stuff. So maybe a barrier to entry is a little Yes, higher. yes. So very cool. Well, Pippin, thank you so much for talking to me today. My pleasure. Thanks so much for listening. And thanks to our great guest and fantastic sponsors. If you liked the show, please rate it and subscribe on iTunes, in Google Play, or at Spotify, or whatever your podcast app of choice is. 
If you have any questions, be sure to reach out at howibuilt.it. And finally, until next week, get out there and build something.